Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. But when we find ourselves in Advent there and in this run-up to, to Christmas, there are a lot of readings that we probably expect to see. We might play a, a bit of Christmas reading bingo and wait for certain passages to, to come up. They usually revolve around angels and shepherds, wise men, the birth of Jesus. I bet none of you had the opening to John's first letter on your little bingo list of passages that you would expect to read. It's probably not where you would immediately go for a Christmas passage. However, for me, the opening up to John's first letter explains perfectly what the nativity means. And while it doesn't immediately scream out to us Christmas, as I was preparing this week, it just seemed to fit with Christmas for me. Because you see, it gathers the, the gospel, the good news, in a nutshell. In those first 10 verses, there's this reminder to us that salvation is by grace alone. A gift from God who came to walk amongst us. We hear that the eternal life that was with the Father came to us. John is talking about Jesus, the incarnation, the birth in Bethlehem at the nativity. That that little baby born in Bethlehem was with the Father and then came to us and we receive our salvation by grace alone through our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if any of you have seen a particular favorite program of mine. You know, I watched a few episodes and then I was hooked. And that's never a good thing because you can't switch it off. You, know, you think back to the days where you had to wait a week for the next episode to come. Now you can just sit and watch an entire series in one go. But the program was called The Good Place. And it came to an end, unfortunately, after only four seasons. But I thought it was absolutely brilliant. See, the thing is, we tend to agree that, that good behavior should be rewarded. We're taught that as children. You know, that if you're good, you'll be rewarded. And that bad behavior deserves punishment. And that's exactly the premise of The Good Place, the show that I watched that good things are rewarded, bad things are punished. And in the good place, for every good thing that you do, you get a tick, or a thumb up, or a positive thing. But for every bad thing you do, you get a cross, or a negative thing. And at the end of your life, you hope that you have more ticks 
than the cross is. Because if you have more ticks, then you get to go to the good place. But if you have a negative, then you go to the bad place. It was just such a wonderful, wonderful television show. I loved it. And while it was a comedy, there was a lot of philosophy in there, which is right up my street. I'm aware that that's not everybody's bag, um, but it was right up my street. I loved it. But our passage from 1 John is reminding us that that isn't how God works at all. That while it was a wonderful TV show, that isn't how God works at all. God isn't keeping a tally of all the good things you do and all the bad things you do, just waiting to see whether you might get to the good place. I don't know about you, but I'm certainly glad that that's the case. I don't want to know what my number is, whether it's a positive or a negative. But I'm thankful because the nativity especially reminds us that that isn't how God works. Reminds us that our salvation isn't actually dependent on anything we do or don't do. It is completely dependent on Jesus coming to us, his willingness to go to the cross on our behalf, taking on our sin, and to quote the scripture, take on our iniquities, and that it's by his stripes we would be healed. That our eternal relationship with God is secured. And John is at pains in this opening to his first letter to get that point across. It's so important to him that he has to open up his letter with this. And that's the thing that we're celebrating at Christmas, that this nativity happened and it matters. In these 10 verses, he's at pains to hammer home the point that it matters that God came to be with us in the person of Jesus. It matters. You see, over the years, there's been this kind of argument put forward that Christians are celebrating Jesus' birthday and they've taken this pagan holiday and Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December. It's clearly all a bunch of made-up nonsense. But that's a red herring. It's a straw man argument, if you will, put forward by those who wish to discredit Christianity and, and ultimately Jesus, to discredit Jesus and who he says he is. And it misses the entire point. We're celebrating what John is talking about in his letter. We could celebrate that at any time. And yes, we chose the 25th of December, but it could have happened at any point during the year. We're not celebrating Jesus' actual birthday. We're celebrating the fact that he was born. We're celebrating his birth the long-promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Lord of lords, and the Lord of our lives. God came to earth to restore His relationship with His creation, us, a creation that He loved so much that He wanted to enter into it, be part of it with us. It's not just a story. John is stressing its importance. 
And he goes further and he makes it personal. And I love this. In verse 2, John says, This life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and declare to you this eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. He says, we've seen this. We testify to it. And without getting too technical, the Greek word that he uses here for testifying in this letter, it's written in a way that, that we're able to read that he's making a case. He's stating a case. It's the kind of language of law and courts where you're making your case to the jury. He says, trust me, I am a witness to what I'm saying. I'm a witness to it. Not that I've just heard about it or heard these stories about it, this amazing thing that's happened, that God walked amongst us in the person of Jesus. It's not something that I've just heard. He's saying, this is my witness statement. I saw him. I heard him. I've touched God in the person of Jesus. We heard him preach these amazing sermons. Saw the glories of God coming out of Jesus. When Jesus spoke, it was God that we heard. We are witnesses to his glorious resurrection. If you've been following the, the Advent devotional that, that I created, uh, Tread Lightly, you'll have read in Luke chapter 8, it's probably Wednesday, I think that was the 8th, you would have read about the woman who has been struggling with, with hemorrhaging, bleeding. And we read that she touches, she reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak, that the crowds are all surrounding but she knows if she just touches his cloak, she recognizes that she's touching God. What faith that she knew that she was reaching out and touching God. This amazing gift of grace that is given to us means that we too can see, hear, and touch God in the person of Jesus. You see, the thing is, there are many, many other religions, many religions in the world with their gods, small g. Other religions speaking about their gods who might be described as incredibly powerful, but they're always distant. They're always distant. However, in the Christian faith, our God, the God, the one and only God, is the one who wants relationship with us, doesn't want to be distant at all, doesn't want to be distant, still all-powerful, but loving and wants to be involved in our lives. A God who showed that by coming down to earth in the person of Jesus and showed us what it meant to love one another. A God that we could touch, a God that we could hear, a God that we could see. 
I love Wesley's hymn, the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I love it because there's amazing theology that happens in Wesley's carols. He's brilliant. But I love the line in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, where he writes, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Not veiled in flesh, the Godhead hidden. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Wesley's capturing what John says here. That in the person of Jesus, we saw the glories of God. They weren't hidden. They were revealed to us and walked amongst us. God wrapped in human flesh. And the thing is, when we read the Scriptures, and again, it's another argument that's put out there. We might find the God acting in the Old Testament very difficult to believe as a loving God. There are many things in there that, we, that raise questions for us. It becomes difficult for us to get our heads around. Because God's love in the Old Testament is very much a tough love approach. Here's this tough love approach with the Israelite people. But everything he was doing, he was doing for their own good. Even if they, and sometimes us, we couldn't see it. We can't see it. We might ask that question of, what do you mean this personal relationship with a loving God? If we only ever read the Old Testament and see God through that lens and fail to see God through the lens of the Gospels, that we fail to see God in the lens of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. If we see God through that lens, then we see a very different one. God is still the same today as He was yesterday and will be tomorrow. But we're able to see God's love for us in the person of Jesus, showing compassion and love bringing in a, an upside-down way of living, or as you've heard me say before, the upside-down kingdom. All because he wanted to restore a relationship and present us with what the fourth Advent candle will be next week, which is a deep, deep joy. God came to walk amongst us that we might have joy that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. And in verse 4, John says, we are writing these things, things so that our joy may be complete. John's joy is that by being a witness to it, he wants to share it with others in order that others would understand that God loves them. That it doesn't matter what they've done or not done that through their faith in Jesus, they're saved. And this joy isn't just about being happy. The joy of when one of your sports teams wins. I forgot what that was like. But, but it's not that kind of happiness. It's that deep joy 
that the joy of the Lord would be our strength, that we would be strengthened in this joy. And having this joy doesn't mean that, that, that our problems automatically disappear or that everything will be rosy. You know, I've said on numerous occasions that contrary to popular belief, you know, Christians aren't immune from the, the struggles of this world. We are in the world. There will still be pain and there will still be hurt. But having the joy of the Lord as our strength is a constant reminder to us of what John is talking about in this passage. You have a God who walks with you, not a distant God. A God you can hear and wants to talk to you in prayer, wants to have this dialogue. A God that you can see in action in the person of Jesus. And the thing is, that can all be quite difficult to accept by a lot of people. See, at Christmas time, this message of hope, love, and joy, and goodwill to, to all people, that seems to be quite widely accepted. People kind of hone in on that, whether they're Christians or not. A time of, of love and, and hope. And... However, this message, the true meaning of the nativity, that's less widely accepted. And I guess that that might be because for the, the outside eye looking in, it might not actually look all that impressive. It's actually quite ordinary that God would choose to enter into our world in the most ordinary of ways. There might be those who would have expected God to just zap himself into the, the center of the world, not be born in a stable with absolutely no fanfare. Just a stable. No parachuting straight into the heart of the, the Roman Empire. No, God chose a small, insignificant town in the middle of nowhere. Bethlehem. All very, very ordinary. Surely an all-powerful God would choose another way. There's also the fact that, as I spoke earlier, in our world we usually hold to the idea that there should be scales, that uh, good things and bad things are weighed up, with the good things being rewarded and the bad things being punished. So this idea that, that God would come into our world so that we could be forgiven, and all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus and say, I'm sorry, that we would be forgiven. And that an eternal life would be granted to us. Seems unreal to us that we would receive this free gift. Because the thing is, you don't get things for free in our world. There's always a catch. Am I right? We always look suspicious when somebody tells us we're going to get something for free. There's usually a little asterisk, and if you read the small print, you're signing your life away.
So it becomes difficult for us to get our head around what John is telling us. We have a God who offers us this eternal life, this eternal life that was with the Father, who came to join us here on earth to remind us of His love for us, to remind us that our faith in Him is what grants us salvation. You see, the message of the nativity reminds us that the Christian life doesn't begin with our good works at all. It's about the most simple and ordinary act of welcoming Jesus. Seeking forgiveness for the ways in which we've turned away from God. That's the beginning of the Christian life. Asking Jesus into our lives to be the center of everything that we do. And when we do that, God is able to mold us into the people that we were created to be, which is the best version of ourselves. Each one of us unique, each one of us with a number of gifts that God wants to highlight within us so that we might go and serve, that we might go and be more like Jesus each and every day of our lives. You see, it's not our good works that secure our salvation, but that ultimate work that Jesus did for us on the cross. And it all started over 2,000 years ago, and that's the meaning of the nativity. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you wanted to restore our relationship with you. You refused to be distant or passive, but chose to come to earth to walk amongst us, to speak to us. We're so thankful that you're not a distant God, but a God who wants a relationship with us. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for that work you did on the cross, your willingness to go the extra mile, that willingness to show clearly what your love looks like. The sacrifice in securing that our relationship was restored. Father, would you help us to accept that free gift of grace? Would you help us to forgive others in the same ways that we have been forgiven? Help us to take that message of the nativity, Emmanuel, God, with us. Help us to bear witness to it, to testify to it in the same way that John did, that our joy would be made complete. Help us to share this amazing good news with all those that we meet. Holy Spirit, strengthen us, make us bold, that we might be willing to testify to your love each and every day of our lives. For we ask of it. In Jesus' precious name, amen.